These are the daily lectionary comments for January the 19th. We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 44, in which Ezekiel continues to discuss the, um, the futuristic temple and the glory of Israel in terms of this futuristic uh, temple. And then also uh, Romans chapter 9, where, where Paul turns his attention to the question, this question about the Jews, has God's word to Israel failed? Okay, now I'll be uh, candid with you. This part of Ezekiel is a little bit hard to get into, a little hard to to see its relevance. There are pieces of it that I'm really enjoying, but but overall, it's 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 a little bit uh, tricky. Understand that Ezekiel is a priest, and so he is very attuned to the things relating to the temple and the priesthood and the things that the priests do. And so he resonates and his his writing resonates with things that would, would be of particular interest to a priest. Uh, in, this, in this reading today, like previous readings from Ezekiel chapter 40 and on, the general idea here is that Ezekiel is uh, is being shepherded and moved from place to face, wished around, uh, whisked around, shall we say, by a tour guide, uh, this this uh, angelic kind of uh, of of uh, person, and he's being whisked around this future temple to observe various things, and to hear uh, various things about the future of God's people. Now, again, like I said before, the point of this really isn't isn't to to talk about the future containing an actual temple like this. This is all highly metaphorical. And it's saying something about our life with God in the future, but it's not really giving us a blueprint or uh, instructions for how uh, the future temple, uh, as it's described here, will actually be built or actually be operated. Um, first off, it, it, it makes an interesting distinction, uh, Ezekiel's prophecy here does, between the, the Levites and the priests. Now, is is you know we we talked about this a long time ago back in Exodus and Leviticus that uh, all priests were Levites but not all Levites were priests the the tribe of Levi was set aside in the law of Moses to serve God in his temple in a general kind of way they did not offer sacrifices uh but they did help manage the temple and maintain the temple and they also did a lot of, of teaching of the people. The priests were a subset of the Levites from the house of Aaron, that is, descendants of Aaron, who was a Levite, uh, and the descendants of Aaron served as priests. So the priests were the ones who actually offered up the sacrifices and entered into the temple. And we see here in this uh, reading uh, that, uh, that the Levites are um, uh, are criticized rather heavily and said a number of times that they shall bear their punishment, whereas the priests are spoken of rather well, as though the priests had, in, in general, been faithful to the Lord while Israel had had essentially gone off the rails and chased after other gods. The, Levi, the, the, the priests are, are shown here to have generally been faithful to God in the discharge of their duties in the temple. The Levites, on the other hand, are criticized as having sort of encouraged or joined in in the people uh in uh, in their idolatry and so while the levites continue to serve god in this um this new perfect future temple uh they they are limited in what they are able to do 
Um, of a special note here also, remember that the whole idea of the temple is that God dwells with human beings. And the whole idea of the priesthood is the mediating between God and human beings. And so whether the, whether the priests are able and are doing their job or not is critical to maintaining the relationship between God and his people. And here we see that the priests are going to be able to enter the sanctuary routinely. They're going to be able to offer the sacrifices appropriately. And they're going to be faithful in this new temple. And no more is there going to be idolatry. And no more are the people going to profane my temple. Um, profane, to profane something means to, to, to treat a holy thing as common. So the uh, the misdeeds of the Levites and and of of Israel generally were said to have profaned the temple, treated it as not a holy thing, or made it not a holy thing to the point where God finally uh, leaves the temple and is destroyed. In the future, temple will never be profaned. The priests will offer their sacrifices. They will enter the sanctuary uh, routinely in order to do their work. He also says that the priests will will regularly teach the people to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the clean and the unclean, which is specifically what Moses had commanded be taught to the people. Life with God means that we distinguish between that which is holy and belonging to God and belonging to the presence of God and that which is common or ordinary, not necessarily bad. Another pair of words that is often used to denote the same thing is the sacred and the profane. Things that are sacred are holy and things that are profane are common. And uh, when we live with God and when we live in God's land and when we worship God and when we call ourselves God's people, it is necessary that we distinguish between that which belongs to God or is related to God and that which is not. And clean and unclean uh, makes a similar distinction of that which is suitable to be brought into the presence of God and that which is not, okay? So these are very religious ideas, holy and common, clean and unclean. And and uh, the point here being made by Ezekiel is that in former times during the idolatry of the people, um, these, these things had been obscured or not observed. Uh, or violated over and over again, but in the future, uh, a life with God will be such that that which is holy will always be treated as holy, and that which is common uh, will be appropriately treated as common and not holy, and things will be clean uh, that approach God and his holy uh, places. So anyway, that that's enough for this text here. It, it's a little bit of a chore, I understand, but uh, 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 you know, trying to look at things in the future and the glory of Israel from the point of view of the Old Testament uh, priestly class uh, is a bit of a stretch for us. It's a little bit difficult to see this uh, exactly. However, we can see certain uh, general themes that are very good. There'll be no uh, 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 no more corruption in the in the temple of God. No more profaning the temple of God. Uh, uh, but things will be as they're supposed to be so that the covenant between God and his people may be maintained. Okay, in Romans chapter 9, Paul begins a new section of his, uh, his magisterial work, his letter to the Romans, and he's now going to turn him, his, uh, his attention to the question 
of of how how are Christians under the Messiah to understand and relate to Israel that continues to reject the Messiah. Now understand that all Israelites did not reject the Messiah. Paul himself is a Jew, and he has certainly thrown himself uh, to be uh, a follower and disciple of Jesus, as are all of the apostles and all the early Christians. But Israel as a whole did not embrace its Messiah, and the church is now in the process. This is a letter to the Romans, a Gentile city. The church is now growing quite apart from Israel, and they are now moving in their separate way. So the, the question that Paul is is asking is, has God's word and promises to Israel failed? I mean, we see that in Isaiah, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, um, that Israel has a glorious future. Uh, and this is one of the staples of, of the prophets and their prophecies. There's judgment, but there's a glorious future. But we also see in the coming of the New Testament that Israel as a whole seems to be being left behind. And the question is, have these people been left behind by God? Now, Paul begins by talking about his sorrow for these people. He is truly sorry that they are not coming to Christ, and he prays for them. And he even says that he himself would be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of his brothers, which is an extraordinary statement. He also talks about their present blessings. I mean, the wonderful thing about being an Israelite and what they were given. To them belong, the uh, verse 4 says, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, and Christ himself has come from them. So they are blessed in a great many ways. Now, I understand that Paul has been discussing a great deal about the distinction between the law and faith. And the law is a translation, or, or, or what it's really referring to is what in Hebrew is called the Torah, the Torah of Moses. So the question is, has the Torah of Moses been replaced? Now, Jesus said, I come not to uh, abolish the law, the Torah, but to fulfill it. And that's exactly Paul's attitude, too. In the New Testament church, the Torah is fulfilled. It's not abolished. But Israel itself seems to have been left behind. Uh, and, and could that be? Could God made such promises to his people and then they end up uh, uh, falling short. Now, the argument begins uh, in, in verse um, 6 here, and it's important to get what he's saying. He says, uh, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So he begins his argument this way. And basically what Paul is saying here is this. It has never been the descendants of Abraham according to the flesh that are, quote, God's people. Because Abraham, of course, had a son Isaac, but he also had a son Hagar. And and it was through Isaac that the promise of, of God's of being God's children uh, was transferred, not through Hagar. Hagar's, uh, an Ishmael, I'm sorry, Ishmael's the son. Um, uh, Hagar was the, the mother of, uh, of Ishmael. Through Ishmael would not go the promises in the covenant of God, but through Isaac and later through Jacob. So not all the descendants of Abraham, but only those whom God had chosen. 
Now understand that we have to draw a distinction here. We're not talking about who's saved and who's not. We're talking about who is blessed with the task of being God's servant. Remember that in Isaiah, there was much discussion about the servant of the Lord, and that in the end, Israel as a whole failed to do what God needed his servant to do, and Jesus became the new servant of God who would be faithful. The question here is not who's going to be saved, but who is going to be the servant of God. And it is not all the descendants of Abraham, but through Isaac, your offspring shall be numbered. The, the descendants of Isaac, uh, from them would come and God would build the servant. And then, and then, from the, uh, then we have uh, um, uh, Jacob, and Jacob had his own children. But Jacob had a brother, Esau. And also Esau was not chosen. It was not the descendants of Esau, uh, Isaac. That is, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Through Esau, the promise did not go. Esau was not part of the covenant people of God and was not raised up and used by God to be his servant. But um, Jacob was. So in the end, the descendants of Jacob were chosen as a nation. And it was the, it was the descendants of Jacob whom the Lord brought out of Egypt. They were the, 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 the covenant people of God who were to be his servant. The point that Paul is making is it's not as though every last one of the descendants of Jacob uh, uh, were were utilized by God as his servants, but those who by faith actually continued uh, before him. So throughout the time in uh, you know following Jacob himself, we had many Israelites split off and, and in the in the wilderness, many were not faithful and therefore did not continue as God's servants. Later on, it would be those who were faithful to David uh, and, and, uh, and submitted to David's rule as God's choice to be the king of the people and submitted uh, to Zion as the place that God had chosen. And remember, the northern tribes split away from them, and so they were not chosen anymore and were not part of God's plan and it was not the northern tribes that were the servant of God. It was the southern tribe that was the servant of God. And now what Paul is saying is, okay, well, God is continuing his sovereign election. It is up to God to choose whether it's going to be Jacob or Esau, whether it's going to be Ishmael or, or, um, or Isaac, and which and what and how God would use the descendants of Jacob in order to be his servant. And now God has determined uh, that he will choose one and precisely one of the descendants of of Israel to be his actual servant and to bestow on him all of the promises. And that one is Jesus of Nazareth. God has made his sovereign choice. He has also made his sovereign choice that all who believe in this Jesus, whether they had previously been uh, uh, rejected the Torah or not, these would be the people who will now constitute the new people of God. And what uh, Paul is saying is this, we're not talking about who's saved and who's not, but who are going to be the people of God and used by God in this world and how God's plan is going to go forward. And it's going to go forward through Christ and not through the Torah and through Judah and through the people of Israel. Uh, it's not going to go that way. It's going to go through Jesus of Nazareth. And this is according to God's sovereign choice. And it has always been this way. It has never been the case that all of the descendants of Jacob or all the descendants of Abraham, according to the flesh, were the servants and the people of God and, and, and had the covenant. 
it was only certain ones that God chose, and now it is a certain one that God has chosen, Jesus of Nazareth. And all of Israel is commanded to get on board with that, as well as all the Gentiles are commanded to get on board with that. So he begins his argument this way. He is going to discuss this much further, so we'll, we'll stop for now. Um, but, uh, uh, but this is how he begins his discussion. It has always been the case that there's been a distinction between the children of the flesh and the children of promise. And Christ is the recipient, uh, is, is the one that God has chosen uh, to bestow upon them the, the, all the promises that go to the children of promise and all those who trust in him. All right, enough for today.